Hello and welcome to Minter Dialogue, episode number 105. This interview is with Carolyn Pearson, an entrepreneur based in Leeds, UK, who started up a social network for women travellers called Maiden Voyage. With 7,000 members, this is an interesting niche business, providing a valuable service to women on the road on the one hand, and travel-related businesses on the other. In this interview, we discuss Carolyn's journey, the Maiden Voyage business model, and her strategy for developing her business. Some excellent tips for hoteliers in particular. Enjoy the show. Welcome to the Minter Dialogue Internet Show, where we discuss brand marketing with a focus on all things digital. I am Minter Dial, author of TheMindset.com, that's T-H-E-M-Y-N-D-S-E-T, where branding gets personal. You'll find the show notes on the blog for the upcoming interview. Let's cut to the quick. Enjoy the show. Hello, and welcome to the Minter Dialogue. Today, piped in from Northern England, Carolyn Pearson, tell us who you are, what you do, and what is your mindset? Okay, hi, Minta. I'm, I'm Carolyn Pearson from MaidenVoyage.com. Uh, Maiden Voyage is a global social network, and I aim to connect female business travellers around the world to spare them the boredom of sitting in a room, hotel room, having room service, or sitting in a boring restaurant by themselves. And we connect female business travellers with lovely female-friendly hotels around the world, and we have a great team of ambassadors who they can connect with so that they can ask for their top tips and recommendations or even meet them for a glass of wine if they want to. And I think really my mindset is all about feeling the fear and doing it anyway. It's about not having to know all the facts, just to try things out and to drop the things that don't work. And really just to be in your passion, just to be following life with the things that make you happy rather than working all day to spend your time in the evening doing the things that make you happy. Oh, I love that. Carolyn, that's brilliant. I mean, right there. Perfect. <laughs> so, um, so feeling your passion or, or, you know, feeling no fear, I should say. You, you have a, a really strong and illustrious background, really interesting stuff that we were talking about just before we were recording working at EasyJet, working at KLM, uh, Coach Hotels. You left all that to start this. Tell us about the, the journey at the beginning. How did, they, how did they come around? How did Maiden Voyage come around? Well, um, at the time, I was working for ITV, um, and they sent me off to LA to look at an IT system. So it wasn't the most glamorous of, um, of, of business trips. My, my boss said I wanted to go to Hollywood, and I had desires to be in front of camera but unfortunately I was behind a computer and uh, well there's a camera in there anyway somewhere (laughs) that's very true and um, I just thought well because I love traveling that's my pure passion is to have the weekend prior to the meetings and just hang out in LA Santa Monica Venice Beach and then you know have my meetings and fly back and um, yeah the daytimes were fantastic but actually you know an evening in a business hotel, particularly on a weekend, is definitely not interesting. It's very, very boring. And um, I just thought, gosh, you know, you've got Hollywood outside here and I'm stuck here and I I can't really go out and sit in a restaurant by myself on a Saturday night. And so I wanted to create this network through which women could meet. meet. And so, you know, being of an IT um, leaning, I got back, I created a prototype and I popped it up on the web. 
And literally within a few weeks' time, I'd had approaches from um, Management Today magazine, the New York Times and CNN, who had all really loved the idea and just blasted, made a voyage into the stratosphere. And literally, you know, within three to four months, I had members in over 60 countries. Huh. How on earth do you get picked up by them? I mean, because you know, we know how it is getting getting at the, in, in front of people on the web. It's not exactly uh, virgin territory. So how did, wh- how did you get, was there some one person that picked you up and then that helped spread it? What was the mechanism that got well, you in front of everybody? It's really funny. You know, I just got lucky. And I've had a 25-year career in IT, but maybe I should have had one in PR because literally one just led to the other to, led to the other. And even to this day, I've never, ever paid for PR, and I'm still getting approached every week by fantastic publications. So I I think my my tip would be, obviously, go the extra mile. So this weekend, for example, I was contacted by Skift, the the fantastic travel um, online resource, and they asked me if I could do an interview. And literally, I just went back and said, I can do it in the next couple of hours if you like. And let's do it by Skype. It will save you the cost. And I think it's just about making it easy for those people to engage with you. I, I heavily applaud. <laughs> <laughs> um, so let's talk a bit more about uh, then the maiden voyage now. You've been up for how many years now? When did you officially launch? Well, that business trip was in 2008. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I've been going ever since. And it was only um, in February 2013 that I left my full-time role because up until then I was running Maiden Voyage evenings, weekends and, you know, (laughs) loo breaks. Um, And so, yeah, it's really been pushing ahead in the last year. Yeah, so bootstrapping. I totally understand. Uh, And so talk us about uh, how many members you have and what what does it look like, uh, the social network side? So we've got around about 7,000 women and they're all professional women who either travel um, for their job or we have quite a, a team of sort of sort of senior PAs who look after execs who are traveling as well. And they literally are all around the world. So of course our biggest um, you know, groups of members are in Europe, in the UK and the USA. But we do also have members, you know, in war zones. We have members in Yemen, Syria, Australia, New Zealand. Um, and the good thing is that we call all of those members from a security aspect just to make sure that they are all women. And we just get to have such a culturally rich experience every day. You don't know where the next member is going to come from. So you actually qualify each member. I, mean, I think we really have to. I mean, times have changed, obviously, since I launched the business. And there are other means you know, in terms of really sort of cyber-stalking someone to make sure that, you know, that you are convinced that they're a lady. Um, but at the moment, we do actually call every single one. It only takes two or three minutes. But it gives them the satisfaction of knowing that if they wish to connect up with another person through the network, that we have qualified that they are genuinely a lady. But, of course, that also gives us purity in our database as well. And presumably you have to be English-speaking. Well... <laughs> We do have a few languages in the team, so I can speak Dutch, a little bit of French. Um, we have people who can help us with Latin Americans, but really the networking throughout the site is English-based, so it, it does help if they're English-speaking. What I mean, because I'm thinking of alcohol companies that have to do age gating, and uh, you know, you isn't? Do you use social login as well, or not? I didn't see. It didn't seem you have social login. It has to be. You know, there's a specific login for Maiden Voyage. Is that accurate? 
Yeah, that is accurate. But we are actually looking at actually building APIs to some of the bigger social networks. Uh-huh. And um, when, when you talk about 7,000 members, uh, how do you qualify in terms of activity? How active are they? So is it, are they only get activated when they're on a trip, right, I assume? How, how well, does it work? What happens is there are a lot of free facilities for somebody just to use the website without actually joining. Um, but when you become a member of Maiden Voyage, then you get access to the networking. And so that means that, you know, you can register, you can, um, you can get the newsletter and bits and bobs like that. You can get special offers and competitions. But if you're a qualified member, that means that you can actually put travel dates in and you can arrange to meet with the other ladies. Um, but the other benefits that we have is that we recommend female-friendly hotels. And those female-friendly hotels treat our members like goddesses. So they will get an upgrade or a welcome glass of champagne or they might get a spa treatment. Um, and so, you know, there are the benefits as well of, of joining. But then what we're also finding is that members are contacting our ambassadors in cities around the world to ask them for their top tips or, you know, things like, um, is it worth me bringing my running gear or, you know, am I likely to get chased by a weirdo or, you know, anything really that, that, that can be asked. And, and more serious things too. For example, um, one of my ambassadors in Shanghai, she, she had some travellers who um, who were travelling there and one of them actually fell down a manhole <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> which is not convenient and luckily she was fine but you know she was able to give advice about going to the doctors or you know getting the tetanus shots and stuff like that so the ambassadors are actually people or women in the uh destination town yeah so they're really they're travel savvy women they're women who are passionate about the cities that they live in and they've got a real thing for helping and supporting other women um and that's how we select them when I was uh, perusing uh, on some of some of the uh, maiden voyage sites and or at least uh, social, I was trying to figure out what types of conversations were taking place. And uh, you know, I'm clearly going going as a single woman into a an environment, whether it's L.A. or uh, Riyadh, uh, it can be a uh, either very different types of experiences. Each time, there's different sets of things that need to be taken into consideration. What, yeah. what, are, what are the types of conversations that you see the most of? Well, funny things like, you know, I quite like expats as my ambassadors because they see the city through new eyes, whereas if, if you've lived in a city all your life, nothing really sticks out as abnormal to yeah, you. Yeah, and they don't even know which hotels are good because that's where they live. Exactly. Um, but what we're finding is, for example, you know, not everybody knows that a lot of social media is banned in China. Um, and a lot of people, you know, have contacts or they've got, you know, a list of things to do or, you know, travel plans in their social media. And they find they can't access them when they get there, for example. For sure. And then, we, you know, we hear about, you know, all the attacks that have been happening on women in, in India, which are absolutely horrific. Yeah. Um, but if you look at the per capita um, attacks on women, you know, Mexico and other, and other um, countries are up there too. So it is really about, you know, knowing, um, you know, which cities you can go out wearing your nice fancy watch, carrying your designer handbag, um, you know, versus which cities you can't. Well, so one thing, Carolyn, that's interesting is that um, since since you are 7,000 women, women are notable for being obviously more social, more present on social media. And I can't help but think you also typically are, are sort of leading causes around the world. Do you find 
I mean, because you just mentioned all the violence against women in India. Do you find that there's a lot of conversation around causes and, and you know, maybe uh, other areas that are not so business related? Well, um, we do have quite a few conversations going on around, um, in, particularly in our LinkedIn group, for example, where women have experienced horrible things whilst they've been traveling. And they become our biggest advocates because they don't want to become victims for the rest of their lives. They're, you know, they're equally passionate about travel. And so really it's about, you know, saying these things happen, but we want to empower women to be safe and to get out there and see the world in spite of, you know, these one or two percentage of the population who, who feel it's their right to, you know, to mistreat women, for example. Um, and then, you know, all around sort of International Women's Day, for example, you know, we like to get involved in that. We've got some interesting plans for next year. Um, so, yeah, absolutely. There, there is, you know, to be really honest, a bit of a feministic side to it. Mm-hmm. I totally understand that. All right, speaking of feminine, what is a female-friendly hotel? I mean, because, you know, if I'm a guy, this is... You know, I, I can't imagine what exact sanitary nap. You know, what what <laughs> what what does that look like? <laughs> so, Minter, I'm going to try a theory with you. Go for when it. you go to a hotel, uh, what's the first thing you do when you get into your hotel room? Huh. Well, I, I like to, my my thing is I like to unpack right away, and so okay. that means hang up my suits, put my dock kit in the in the bathroom, and um, and then usually plug in my my computer because it's got no more battery. Okay, you don't check the tape, the TV out to see what sports channels are on there. No, 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 no. that's not me. No, no, no. <laughs> okay, that blows my generalisation. All oh, right, it's okay, but well, thank goodness I'm a little different. <laughs> but uh, you know, for us, for women, we are sensory shoppers, and I spent you know a year researching uh, the psychology of female consumers and why women buy and what women want from a hotel that's different to men. And when we walk into a hotel. You know, first thing is, of course, that we want that hotel to be in an area where we feel safe and comfortable, particularly if we're going to pop out and explore the area. And and I know that men want that too, but let's be real, you know, it's more important to women. Um, When we walk into the hotel, we're going to notice, you know, the smells of the place. Is it clean? We will even pick up on the dynamics between the staff. In, you know, behind the reception desk. If they've just had a tip, we'll probably notice that. And if we go to that hotel regularly, we want to be welcomed back. We want to feel like it's our home from home. And then there are things like, for example, you know, not announcing our room number um, verbally. And of course, men um, are also, you know, not comfortable with that always. And also, it's about which where their where their rumours. So you don't want to be at the end of a windy corridor. You come back after a few drinks from a dinner mm-hmm. and you just maybe don't feel safe or you feel like you're being followed um, to your room. And certainly that's happened to me in a, in a London hotel. And then it's about the in-room product as well. So, you know, the, the doors need to have double locking um, facilities because, you know, there are, there are quite a lot of transient uh, members of hotel staff who would have access to a master key. So just that peace of mind to know that you can put a chain on or a deadbolt or something which means that you can sleep with both eyes and both ears um, closed which is which, which means for a good night's sleep and you don't need to put that chair under the door handle um, and then you know some in-room comfort such as a decent quality hairdryer so not one that's wired on a one foot cable in the back of a drawer that you have to operate with a push button with your head um, stuck down underneath the desk exactly or you know um, the one that makes me laugh is that we like the culture 
tankers that have a hook on that you can actually take out oh, of yeah. the wardrobe so that you can steam your dresses or whatever in the bathroom. And, you know, I spoke to some hoteliers and they actually thought it was because we wanted to steal them. You know, that's not the yeah. case at all. You know, with luggage restrictions, there's no room for wooden coat hangers. Um, and the other thing is, you know, good quality toiletries to be able to actually see yourself in a mirror from the hairdryer position. So, you know, you don't have to be a contortionist to, to make yourself look beautiful. Um, you know, there's, we've got a whole checklist of about 30, 40 items that we look at when we inspect a hotel. Gosh, well, I have to say that was a, that was an eye-opener. <laughs> I, I was listening to you. Um, do you find yourself, you know, evangelizing or educating hotels about this? Is that something, or do you find them more or less understanding? How, how does that go? Um, well, obviously, the ones that we work with, you were in the collection, completely understand it. And, you know, we have seen hotels change their product or service to come and work with us. So we've had hotels put in extra additional locks to be part of the maiden voyage program or change the check-in process, for example. Or if they didn't have some of the items that I talked about as standard, they'll put in what we call a pamper hamper for maiden voyage members so that they get, you know, an upgraded hair dryers, slippers, herbal teas, magazines, a little bit of chocolate, those kinds of things. Um, but if I stay in a hotel that's not, um, you know, of the maiden voyage quality, you know, sometimes I can't bite my tongue. I do have to say, you know, do you know who I am? And actually, you could improve on this. Totally. Sometimes you do need to stamp on the ground. Um, all right, let's talk about Maiden Voyage's business model. You've got uh-huh. 7,000 members um, yeah. and that, that are quite a broad uh, group of you know, executive travelers, PAs to big execs. What, um, what's the business model for Maiden Voyage? So at the moment, the membership to Maiden Voyage is free. And um, like everything, you know, like Facebook, like Twitter, there will always be an element of free um, stuff for our members. So, for example, the networking, the travel safety advice, access to ambassadors. Um, eventually, we will bring in um, some premium levels, um, which we're still in the process of designing. But the business model predominantly is funded by um, three products. And that is um, the hotels who qualify to come into the collection get a whole host of, um, you know, um, web stuff. They get lots of social media stuff and they get the benefit of my um, my PR and that we get for, for our hotels. And it's all really, really good quality PR. Then the other thing that we do is we train hotels how to really tap into this sector. So we take them on a psychological journey. We send in um, hotel inspectors, uh, mystery guests. Um, we do online surveys. And then we spend a whole day just taking them on the journey, really literally walking in the shoes of a, a female business traveler. And then our, our third revenue stream is working with premium brands who really want to access this highly influential um, category of, of the market because, you know, women um, account for sometimes up to 80% of travel spend. But it's not just travel products, you know, it's safety, fashion, beauty. And actually, I think I think the brands who could really benefit from this are sort of the automotive, the technology and the banking sectors who really, you know, typically don't know how to speak to professional women or how to access them because we're a very busy category. You know, we're hard to pin down and, and, and to get you to listen to them. Mm. So your two first products are, seem to be geared towards hotels, that's correct? Yeah, yeah. Do you also talk with airlines, uh, train companies, I don't know, other transportation people? 
dealing with women travelers? A little bit, yeah. We're, we're speaking with one of the major train operators this week. Um, we're also working with a couple of airport lounges because they want to improve their um, footfall from female business travellers. Um, and also we um, are looking for the right um, hire car company, actually, because what we're finding is that that's really untapped. You know, female business travellers typically will arrive at an airport and be picked up and, you know, driven around potentially. And there's a, there's a huge gap, um, you know, for the high car operators to, you know, for them to tap into that. Do you have a, a point of view about services like Lyft or Uber? Uh, like who, sorry? Uber, the, uh, uh, you know, the, the uh, you know, I would say proxy taxi company services that are now popping up around the world. Oh, no, I don't. No, right. tell me. Well, that's a good one for your for your uh, team. It, it's a, um, a system that you... You can reserve the car like it's like Halo in, oh, in London, Halo. Yeah. Uh, if you will. But it's uh, on separate. It's a separate taxi system, if you will, with people that have car sedans uh, that's that become part of the Uber network. Halo is for the London ta- cabs in yeah. London, uh, but Uber is a, is a separate system with benefits of of knowing who the driver is, what the license plate number is, exactly where they are. You can lo- yeah. geolocate the car, and so. It offers some ideas of safety for the um, for your passengers. Yeah, we, we do actually, we work with one chauffeur drive company who have a great female passenger policy. But it is a really interesting area because once you step into that car, you are at the mercy and whim of that driver. Um, you know, and I, I've had my fair share of being hit on by London cab drivers. You know? uh-huh. And, you know, I can generally handle myself, but even so, it's not something that you want. Well, it, especially if you're in another country where yeah. you don't really know what the customs are. And they, it can get very tricky very quickly, I'm sure. Yeah, well, you know, it goes back to my mindset about feeling the fear and do it anyway. I spent, um, you know, a, a few days in Morocco actually going around by cab looking at the hotels there, you know, and each time I got in, I thought, oh, my God, you know, am I safe doing this? It was absolutely fine, but, you know, it was a little bit of a knife edge. So in terms of developing your business, Carolyn, yeah, um, I'm going to guess you have some budget for going and traveling and visiting hotels. <laughs> well, actually, um, people think that my job is more glamorous than what it actually is. So, for example, we brought on um, another five hotels in the States this week, so four in New York and one in Chicago. And uh, I didn't get to go to Swan around New York because my ambassador who lives over there does that. Um, So, you know, I do travel a lot and I do spend a lot of time in beautiful hotels. But um, I also have this brilliant ambassador network who I, you know, sort of manage from HQ who are helping me, you know, to to sort of do world domination a lot quicker than I could do by myself. So, Carolyn, what does an ambassador get for being part of your system? Well, the ambassadors get a, n- a number of things, Minter. Um, firstly, you know, the, the sense of being part of the community, and when I say an exclusive community, I don't mean elitist, but I mean, um, you know, a niche community of women where there will be, you know, probably 100 in 100 cities. And they, they actually get a lot of buzz from that. But also they get the opportunity to promote themselves or their business or their causes or their charities they get the opportunity to meet with, you know, very interesting women who are traveling to their cities. Um, they also get um, a commission on any business that they do. Um, but also I get invited to the most amazing things. You know, it could be a press launch of something. It could be 
a stay in a luxury hotel. It could be, um, you know, featuring a local magazine or, you know, an opening of a restaurant. So anything that's, you know, in their city that I'll just pass on to the ambassadors as well. Hmm. And uh, how can some an ambassador sign up? Do they have to generally become a member first and then they sort of graduate to ambassador status or how does it work? Well, we like them to be members so that they know what they're becoming an ambassador for, obviously. Um, but generally, we identify ambassadors through, through a couple of routes. One is that when somebody signs up and we call them, they've just got that real excitement about Maiden Voyage. You know, they're, they're already recommending Maiden Voyage. They are um, out there, you know, recommending us to hotels. They're telling us about their good and bad hotel experiences, and they're just truly passionate about it. So then at that point, we would say, do you realize we've got an ambassador scheme? And uh, then we go through the interview process by Skype or it depends where they are. We might send another ambassador to meet them. Um, the other one is through recommendation. And the recommendations seem to be breeding recommendations. Um, so we've got a, a great group of ladies who've just joined us, um, one in Orlando, one in Toronto, one in Miami and another one um, in Dallas. And they've all come from the same route of one recommending the other, recommending the other. And they're really, you know, brilliant women. And, you know, I feel blessed to, to have this diversity within the Ambassador Network. That's fun. So um, in terms of your strategy for getting your name out there and, and getting Maiden Voyages uh, notoriety up, you mentioned you have good PR but, uh, and you don't spend money on, on advertising. That's mm -hmm. right. What about uh, your content strategy and or your social strategy? How would you describe your efforts and how you try to push out Maiden Voyage? Well, we, we try to join all the social dots. So if you join Maiden Voyage, you're, you're already signposted to all of our um, social media. So you can cherry pick the one that's good for you, one or two that's good for you. So whether it's Twitter, Facebook or LinkedIn. Um, we're very busy on um, Twitter, particularly that we find that that's a good source of members. Um, as are the LinkedIn groups. But we, we also blog and we take guest blogs as well. I run, oh, sorry, I run and manage other people's travel blogs for them and provide content. Um, and then a lot of the um, PR that we're getting at the moment is online PR, um, which again proliferates really, really well. Um, and then occasionally, you know, if we're doing an interesting partnership, we'll pop that out on PR web and that will again get proliferated. And then that just brings a new batch of interest, if you like, from the press. So we are particularly famous, I guess, in the trade press in the UK. You know, a lot of hotels know about us, um, but we're targeting really um, the US and Germany at the moment. Huh. And uh, in terms of um, search engine optimization, do you have like keywords that are are the most uh, looked for when women are searching online? Yeah, we do. And actually, uh, we had one of those search engine optimization agencies come to me the other day to give me a free evaluation, you know, where they try to sell you something after. Sure. And I get hundreds of them, but this agency were particularly good, so I let them do it. And at the end of the uh, session, they said, well, actually, you don't need SEO. You've got really good natural SEO anyway, um, which was a nice compliment. Um, but, you know, things like, you know, women tra women's travel network, safe travel for women. Um, we actually coined the phrase female-friendly hotel. It's interesting to see that that's been picked up everywhere now and other people are using it. So they're the key ones. But when we look at the traffic to the website, we find that a lot of the keywords that are driving people back to us are actually made in voyage, which means that our offline PR is working. Huh. 
Well, maiden voyages, of course, is a term. So how do you, um, how often do people convert? I mean, so when you get traffic, what sort of conversion rate do you get or a bounce rate, you know? Um, well, in terms of, we have, we need, we need sort of two types of conversions. We need the members signing up and we need the inquiries to, you know, to work with us or to do an advertising campaign with us. And the conversion to member signups at the moment is around about um, 2%. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not sure if that's good or bad, but we always want more. Of course. <laughs> and uh, and also what we're starting to see now is um, the fruits of our work in terms of marketing, you know, to get the hotel inquiries coming in as well. Because oh. that's much easier than, you know, me having to, you know, target a city and shortlist every hotel. And in terms of your newsletter, are th- are there people? What is? How many people on your newsletter database? If you can tell us, and uh, how, how many of them are also members, or do you have people who just subscribe for the newsletter without becoming members? Yeah, we have both actually. So not all members subscribe to the newsletter, obviously, and not all subscribers are yet members. Um, so we have about um, three and a half thousand subscribers to the newsletter, and I'd probably say about probably about three or four hundred of those are yet members. Hmm. Waiting to convert, or, or maybe you know they sign up and they don't necessarily open because that's how newsletters go. What what is um, I mean, uh, what is your rate of how, how often you send out your newsletter? Well, we send it out. Uh, we we send a regular one out on a monthly basis. But if we've um, formed a new partnership with a brand, or we've um, you know we've taken on a small group of hotels or something like that, we'll send out an interim newsletter. Huh. But our open rates are really healthy. They're around about twenty seven percent. That's nice. That's good. That one we can benchmark against easily. As yeah. for the two percent, that and who's to know? That's that's a it's a minefield out there, and probably everyone will tell you have a different opinion. So brilliant, Carolyn. Thanks for coming on the show. Um, tell us, tell the people listening uh, how they can reach you, uh, follow you, or I mean, uh, and I don't mean this in a tracking kind of way, of course. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that can go the wrong way, I'm sure. So, uh, what would you? How would you like people to connect? Ladies, if you want to sign up to Maiden Voyage and enjoy the free benefits, then um, come and, and visit our website, which is www.maiden-voyage.com. Likewise, if you want to expose your brand to this fantastic um, demographic, again, www.maiden-voyage.com. Um, you can also follow us on Twitter, which is Maiden underscore Voyage. Brilliant. Well, Karen, thanks again. I'm glad to have caught up with you uh, hooked up at KPI and uh, well you know I won't be joining your network um, so I might be disqualified at that little interview but uh, I certainly be glad to have as many uh, women as I know uh, joining up so um, look forward to uh, keeping a tag on what's going on at Maiden Voyage. Thank you. Thanks for having listened to this recording of the Minter Dialogue Internet Show. You'll find the show notes on themindset.com where you can also sign up for my weekly newsletter at forward slash subscribe. If you like the show, please rate it in iTunes and don't forget to click the handy Facebook like button or to tweet it out. In the meantime, please come join the conversation at The Mindset or catch me on Twitter at M-D-I-A-L. Happy trails.
Imagine how fast we could solve the world's biggest problems if more SaaS startups would gain traction sooner. Welcome to the Tech Entrepreneur on a Mission podcast. This podcast is dedicated to sharing experiences from B2B SaaS CEOs who are going above and beyond to deliver change that is noticed. You will hear their secrets and learn what is required to build a SaaS business that the world starts talking about and keeps talking about and how to overcome the roadblocks to do so.